Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Hey, welcome to Snazzy Stories. Today I have two stories, and both of them have to do with some supernatural type of entities entering the world, if you will, and and if you believe in that type of stuff, you might be interested, but the people that this happened to, according to them, was either Satan, the devil himself, or demons, and also the other story deals with a, a god giving them a physical sign. So the LDS people, they tend not to talk really about things like that in modern day, uh, people being possessed by the devil or by his demons, uh, physically possessed anyway. And they tend also not to talk about maybe physical signs from God, and maybe they don't happen anymore. I'm not sure. I am LDS, but I've noticed, though, in modern-day LDS church meetings that we don't really talk much about it. However, uh, actually, a few weeks ago, in my own meeting, somebody had gotten up and talked about how they had witnessed that their friend was having these seizures, and she had said that she witnessed that the devil was taking control of her, and that's where she was getting these Caesars from. And so she and her other friend had to cast them out, cast out these demons, or if it was the devil, cast the devil out. And I thought that kind of interesting. And so I started thinking back on some of the church history, the LDS church history stories that have been that I have read and have been recorded. And one of them is in the book Stand By My Servant Joseph, the story of Joseph of the Joseph Knight family and the restoration, and it's by William G. Hartley. And this one talks about Newell Knight specifically, and that he had gone into the woods and he was trying to pray, but he somehow could not pray, and he sent Sally Knight, his wife, to go and find Joseph Smith. Now, Joseph Smith was a family friend, and he was also the leader of the LDS Church. So he sent Sally to go and get him to help him. And Joseph, he records that he says, I went and found him, Newell, suffering very much in his mind, and his body acted upon in a most strange manner, his visage and limbs distorted and twisted into every possible shape and appearances. And finally, he was caught up off the floor of the apartment and tossed about most fearfully. His situation was soon made known to his neighbors and relatives, and in a short time as many as eight or nine grown persons had got together to witness the scene. After he had thus suffered for some time, I succeeded in getting hold of him by the hand, when almost immediately he was able to speak and requested with, with great earnestness that I should cast the devil out of him, and that he, that he knew that he was in him, and that he also knew that I could cast him out. I replied, If you know that I can, it shall be done. And almost unconsciously, I rebuked the devil and commanded him in the name of Jesus Christ to depart from him. When immediately Newell spoke out and said that he saw the devil leave him and vanish from his sight. Now, I find that very interesting. Now, Newell Knight is actually a relative of mine. And so uh, this is why actually I read the book, because he was he's one of my ancestors and but he claiming that the devil actually was in him had possessed him and was tossing him about the about the room and that when apparently Joseph Smith had cast the devil out that he that he actually saw him leave this is not the only story from church history that has 
people claiming that the devil had possessed them. Uh, Philo Dibble had written about Sidney Rigdon, and Sidney Rigdon also, he said that he, he encountered the devil, and he said this happened in 1832 in Kirtland, Ohio. And... Philo Dibble writes that an unseen power lifted him from the bed, threw him across the room, and tossed him from one side of the room to the other. He says that his family witnessed this as well. He, his family had witnessed that he was being uh, thrown from one side of the room to the other, and about five or six weeks after that, he still suffered from injuries from this encounter. Uh, Heber C. Kimball was in England, and he also claims that he was attacked by some evil spirits, and... He says, so great was their force that they knocked Elder Kimball onto the floor. Now, again, this is kind of interesting, at least to me, because as, a, as somebody growing up LDS, I actually heard stories like this growing up. I don't know if I heard these exact ones uh, until I read this book. But all, actually, all three of those experiences are, are in this book, Stand By My Servant Joseph. And when I read these, I really... I found it so odd that all of these things happened in the early stages of the church, or at least they're claiming them to have happened. But as I said, we really don't talk a whole lot about those physical events happening to people now. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. And if they do, then maybe people are are just not comfortable sharing those experiences. But as I said, a few weeks ago, someone had shared an experience very similar to those. And, um, I can say that it was kind of odd. It was, it felt kind of awkward just because I don't think that, uh, we're used to it. And I think a lot of people were kind of sitting there thinking, um, this is weird, (laughs) but it's just because we don't experience those things really, or at least we're not used to sitting in church and being told about these particular experiences. So we were all kind of taken back by these things. So maybe they're happening, maybe they're not, but they definitely did not seem to feel like it was a problem talking about them in the early church history. And maybe that's because there was a lot, a lot more folklore and a lot more thoughts of spiritualism and contact from the other side of the veil type of a thing in heaven. But there was also contact from now this side would have been on the more negative side, maybe from hell, but it seemed to be that people were a little bit more open about those things and maybe they are now. And maybe that's not true, but that's just, I guess my personal experience. But I also have another one. That is pretty interesting. This one comes from Aurelia Reed Spencer Rogers' journal. And it's also in this book called I Walk to Zion, True Stories of Young Pioneers on the Mormon Trail. It's by Susan Arrington Madsen. And it has a bunch of journal entries from Mormon pioneers. And this particular story is really fascinating to me because, again, it has some type of a paranormal event that a lot of people don't tend to talk about. Now, when Aurelia was 13 years old, she was coming across the plains into the Utah Territory. The LDS people were moving west because they were being persecuted and harassed and tortured and murdered. Wherever they went, they were being kicked out of so many different places. Their homes were being burned. Their crops were being burned. They were being tarred and feathered and a lot worse. Uh, Many, many worse things actually happening to them. And I won't go into detail with these today, uh, those things, but I'm sure I will at some point. Now, they were being kicked out of so many places that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young decided that moving to the Western Territories would be a good idea. So that's why they were moving West. However, Joseph Smith was killed before they could actually move into the West. So he never saw that, uh, saw his people actually move. And he did not lead them there. Brigham Young did. 
It took a few years, but after Joseph Smith was killed, that was kind of the last straw that broke the camel's back type of a thing. And so it took them a few years to get gathered together, but they were driven from Nauvoo, and they ended up moving west. Now, they wanted to actually get out of the United States altogether. Uh, the Western Territory was not a part of the United States, and they wanted to leave because their religious rights were not being protected. And so they actually wanted to move into Mexico, which was what the Utah Territory was at the time. And it was all great and wonderful, and they thought they were going to be able to leave, and they get there, and, well, they weren't there very long before the United States won the war with Mexico, the Mexican-American War, go America. But with that, the victory they also gained territory, which also was Utah Territory was a part of that. So they were right back in the United States. Well, Brigham Young, he ended up leading his first scouting party in 1847. And Aurelia Rogers came in within the next year in 1848. And she, again, she was 13 years old. And she was also kind of a bit of an orphan. Uh, people had taken her in as well as her five other siblings because her mother had died from the severe cold from being driven from Nauvoo, Illinois, and her dad was actually on a mission in England. So they were actually they were all by themselves, and so the adults had uh, taken them in, but they were moving out to Utah with the rest of the saints. Now, along the way, they oftentimes, of course, stopped at many different rivers to rest. And one of them, she says that she and her uh, she and the other kids were playing in the river, and they decided that they wanted to play a game called baptize. Now, baptize sounds kind of maybe odd to, to us, but children usually emulate what is going on in their life and what is happening around them and what they see. And the eldest people were converting a lot of people. <laughs> they were converting many, many saints, and so baptism was a real part of their lives. And her dad and many other kids' parents were... In, on missions, and they were baptizing, and they were trying to baptize, and it was an important part of their life. So they decided to play this game called Baptize. Now, in the LDS Church, when they baptize somebody, they dunk them all the way under the water. It's called uh, Baptism by Immersion. They immerse the whole person in the water, and then when they come back up, they are now members of the LDS Church, and their sins are washed away, according to them. So they decided to start dunking people under the water. And as they were doing this, she also says that there was no type of ceremony necessarily. Now, the eldest people do have a type of ritual they do. They say something specific, and then they dunk the person under the water or immerse them, and then they come back up in their members. But she says that they don't remember saying anything. They were just kind of dunking each other under the water and playing this game. And she does say something kind of interesting, though. She says, we were soon interrupted in our sport, however, by someone exclaiming, see, what is that? What is coming? All looked in the direction pointed out, and sure enough, something white and strange looking was coming right towards us across the river and only a short distance away. Then such a screaming and rushing for the shore were perhaps never witnessed before, nor since. Some of the girls almost falling down in the water from fright. I was like one paralyzed, could not speak or move for a few seconds, and was nearly the last one out of the water. But all gained the shore in safety. Looking back, we saw the object which had so frightened us go up the creek and disappear. Our conjectures were varied in regard to what it might have been. Some thought it much larger than it seemed to others. But whatever it was, it floated towards us until we started for the shore, then turned and went up the creek. All agreed that it was a warning and felt that we had done wrong in playing baptize. So, first of all, I love reading journals. 
uh, both of these stories that I've told that I've told today, uh, I find them so interesting because it's fascinating to find out what people felt was in, was important to them at the time, and it gives us some insight into the world as it was before. Something a world that I just don't understand. Obviously, I could never really truly understand it because I didn't live it. And so I really, I find these stories so interesting. But this one, when I read it, I thought, man, this 13-year-old girl, she is, they're playing this game. All these girls are playing this game. And then they see something weird coming towards them. And to them, they just all decided that it was a sign from God. And that gives us a lot of information really into the culture that it was. Because to to these, even these uh, girls, these young girls, they felt that, God was truly involved in their lives and he was giving them a physical sign that they should not be doing something or they should be doing something. Now, I'm sure that they had heard the stories uh, of people being possessed by the devil as well, but they also believed clearly that God was very much involved in their lives. And I find that really very interesting because, again, you have this physical sign being told, uh, being given to them, and that's what they think. So clearly they're being taught that. However, my experience in the LDS church isn't necessarily that we're taught about modern day physical science from God. We talk about this in uh, the Bible and we talk about it in within early church history. But it seems like modern day, it's not necessarily uh, given that way, or at least we don't talk about it like that. It seems to be that we talk about more what, what LDS people call our tender mercies, as mentioned earlier, that they're more everyday blessings that we recognize that God is in our lives And some people feel like he is definitely a huge part of our lives, that he has everything to do with our lives. Some people don't necessarily believe that. They believe that we have, even in the LDS church, that we have choices that we make. And then um, then sometimes he gets involved. But at least from my experience in the church, I I obviously can't speak for everyone who's in the LDS church. but, But I do find these kind of interesting because it's such a different world that we live in now as opposed to when they lived. And... The, the culture around them was very different than the culture around the LDS people now. So those are my two stories today. Thanks for listening to Snazzy Stories, where everybody has a story.